Today's scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, beginning with verse 28, the story of the transfiguration. Hear these words. Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, but since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent, and in those days told no one any of the things they had seen. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, this week has felt a little emptier than normal for me because last Sunday the Winter Olympics for this year ended. And I love the Winter Olympics. I watched as many events as I possibly could in the two weeks that it ran. And I really love almost all of the events. Maybe not cross-country skiing. That one gets a little boring. Though there was some exciting at the end of one of those long races. But anyway, there are a couple of reasons my mind jumped to the Winter Olympics when preparing the sermon besides the fact that it's been on my mind a lot this past week, so many of the events take place on hills or mountains, whether natural or man-made. And in our Bible passage today, the events take place on a mountain. Significant things tend to happen on mountains. Also, there are a lot of face changes in the Winter Olympic events, just as we read that Jesus had a face change on top of his mountain. The face changes in the Olympics can convey a lot about what the athlete is feeling. They try to be calm, cool, and collected on top of that unnerving drop that they're about to go over. Then their faces go from focused to strained, then to either relieved or anxious, depending on how they think they did. For instance, there's Erin Jackson, the American speed skater. You can see her face super focused on the race at hand. And then, after she wins, a confidence and a a happiness. Or there's Nathan Chen, the American figure skater, who doesn't go on top of a hill, but does get quite a bit of air here in this photo. And you can see in his face, too, a kind of determination to make that jump. And then when he also won a medal, just the exhilaration and fist-pumping enthusiasm. On the other side of things, there's Michaela Schifrin, an American skier, one of the best in the world, but this time, in this Olympics, while she was going down the hill, 
So often she would veer off course. You can see her focused and determination to push through, but then when she doesn't quite make it, the sadness, the questioning about what it would take to, to get to the place that she needs to get to in that moment as she's sitting there on the snow. This year, I especially enjoyed watching the flippy snowboard and ski events. Slope style is the actual name for them. This is an event where the skier or snowboarder does some tricks on rails and then has three sets of huge jumps where they do all kinds of out-of-this-world spins and flips. So it's an event that starts out quite perilous when you have to be precise sliding along those rails, then becomes invigorating when the skier flies down the hill, and then becomes what I can only imagine is terrifying and exhilarating all at the same time as they launch out into the air. There's something about that whole journey that is pretty reflective of our scripture passage this morning, which I'll get to soon. But first I stick with the faces, and this is the one that stuck with me the most from this Olympics. The skier Eileen Gu, who represented China, breakout star of this Olympics, you can see her flying through the air, doing one of those flippy, spinny things with just such focus, such hopefulness. And then when she finally wins her gold, an almost look of shock and amazement and relief. There are constant face changes in the Olympics, even without giant hills and jumps. And when someone's face changes, it tends to be significant. It shows what's really going on. The revelation of face changes is something we all know. It's always significant. Like when a parent's face changes from focus on their child to abiding joy after seeing their child be their authentic self. Or when a parent's face changes from neutral to, you better stop that right now. Or when a teacher's face changes from, oh wow, I'm so glad that student finally spoke up in class, to what in the world have you been paying attention to? Certainly not this class. We are a people of many faces and feelings, and that's good. It means we are encountering and responding to this diverse world in deep and meaningful ways. Our passage today shows that Jesus was a person of many faces and feelings also, and that is good. It means that God is encountering and responding to this diverse world, to each of us, in deep and meaningful ways. We call Jesus' face change on top of the mountain that we read about the transfiguration. It's a kind of weird scene. Only three of the disciples witness it, and they don't even know what to do about it. Peter tries to get some tents going for Jesus and the mystically present figures of faith. Moses, the great leader of the Israelites out of slavery, and Elijah, the great prophet who spoke truth in some of the hardest time for the people of Israel. But as Peter tries to figure it all out, we are told that he didn't know what he was saying. It's as weird for him as it is for us, and he is flailing around to respond. When Jesus' face changes, it shows something significant is being revealed, but it's not immediately clear what that is, for Peter and for us. What does this transfiguration event mean, and why is it happening at all? Thankfully, we now have the benefit of years of people thinking about it all and a written account that gives us some context to this story. And I firmly believe that we know best what's going on in the transfiguration by thinking about the stories that the gospel writers put right before and after it. 
Jesus' mountaintop, face-changing, shiny extravaganza is a piece of a bigger picture that emerges in this section of the Gospel. So we start with the story right before Jesus takes his three friends up the mountain. There Jesus is walking around with his disciples, the full group of them, and gets real serious real fast. Peter had just answered pretty well, surprise, surprise, by saying that Jesus is the Messiah, or the Anointed One of God. Then Jesus lets them know that that means something probably pretty different than what they were thinking. Jesus paints a picture of himself that goes like this. The human one must undergo great suffering and be rejected and be killed. Things are not bright and shiny with this picture of Jesus. Quite the opposite. This is a picture of Jesus that is painful and tortured. Then Jesus pushes it even further, telling the disciples that they too will need to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow him. Such a grim picture of things. And then the Gospel writer Luke tells us that eight days pass before the transfiguration. That means the disciples are left sitting with this image of Jesus suffering, rejected, and dying for eight days. Sure, other stuff probably happened in that time, but in the story we have before us, that is it. Jesus reveals his face to be one of pain and agony. And then there are eight days to reflect on that before we get another face of Jesus. But this suffering face of Jesus is an important revelation for the disciples and for us. It reminds us that God is present with us in the painful things of our lives. God knows suffering and rejection. God has experienced those painful parts of life on earth. There's a literal painting of Jesus that I believe captures this face well. It's not for the faint of heart, but it is powerful. Matthias Grunewald painted this image for an altarpiece for the monastery of St. Anthony in Eisenheim, France. I'm not going to spend a lot of detail on, time on the details of this painting because I think it gets its point across pretty clearly. The face of Jesus here is one of great suffering, rejection, and pain, just as Jesus told his disciples right before the transfiguration. This is a face of Jesus. It's a way God has encountered and responded to our world, and it's a way Jesus connects with us. And the significance of this is not that just, just that Jesus experienced pain. The significance is that Jesus can relate to us when we are in pain. The monastery this altarpiece was made for specialized in hospital work. People who suffered from the plague and skin conditions would find healing right alongside this face of Christ. And so in that space, they would know God is near them, suffering with them, and even that their illnesses could not separate them from the love of Christ. So this is the first of three faces we see of Jesus in this section of the Gospel. The second face could not be any more different. Those eight days later, Jesus is on the mountain praying. While that happened, his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Moses and Elijah appear alongside him in glory. In this scene, Jesus' face is one of brightness and glory, the face of one who is on top of the world, exalted, maybe even otherworldly. While it is not my favorite painting by a long shot, I think Raphael did a pretty good job capturing this face of Jesus in his depiction of the transfiguration. 
This was Raphael's last painting. It was also made in the early 1500s, just like the last one from Grunewald, and also as an altarpiece. But it shows such a different form of Jesus. Jesus looks more like a plump European than the rugged Middle Eastern man he historically was here. But Raphael emphasizes the pristineness of Jesus. He is a glow, pure, separated from everything. This is also a face of Jesus who was true God in human skin, a face of holiness that cannot be comprehended fully. And I especially like that Raphael has the disciples cowering on the ground here. Even the gospel writer Luke tells that the disciples were terrified when a cloud came upon them all. It reminds me that Jesus' face is one that draws our attention to the holy and important things of life, but also that Jesus' face is with those who are scared. So often I find myself in the place of these disciples, terrified of what is going on around me, or fearful of what is uncertain, or what I can't even comprehend. Those feelings are real, honest, and valuable, and and Jesus' face is right in the middle of them, assuring us that we don't need to hide fear in the presence of God. Rather, we can know Jesus is with us even when we fear. The first face of Jesus was one of suffering, reminding us that God is with us in our pain. The second face of Jesus was one of shining glory, reminding us that God is with us in incomprehensible ways and even in our fear. And then we get a third face of Jesus when the disciples accompany him back down the mountain. They come back to find a crowd gathered around the other disciples who had stayed down at the bottom and a distraught father who had been seeking healing for his son. The disciples are at a loss of how to heal the kids, so Jesus jumps right in and gets the job done. This is a picture of Jesus, no longer shiny and exalted, no longer forecasting pain and bloodied face, but right in the thick of things with humanity. As a normal, caring person, someone you might run into on the street. It's the face of Jesus, the healer, who meets those in the depths of anxiety with a calm sense of determined peace. We see a version of that face of Jesus here in this Byzantine icon. The mountain he has just descended is in the background, and Jesus, surrounded by people, looks upon the child with care and understanding. Yes, Jesus' face changed in a miraculous and mystical way, up on top of that mountain during that transfiguration. But I'd argue that this face change is just as significant. Jesus' eyes have softened. His mouth opens just enough to utter healing words. His face changes to be with the people who need him the most. These are just a handful of some of the many faces of Jesus, a face of sorrow, a face of glory, a face of care, They are faces that remind us that Jesus is fully human and fully divine, one who relates fully with us and exists beyond our ability to comprehend. Each face tells us something about God and something about us. The paintings especially reveal what specific people at specific times needed from God and were looking for in God. And we only begin to get a full picture of who Jesus is when we bring them all together. No one face shows all that there is to Jesus. And so I think the very act of Jesus changing his face is the miracle worth considering. 
that repeated act reveals a core aspect of who he is. And I'd suggest that the face of God as seen in Jesus is compassion. That is the core identity of God for us. Our God is a God of compassion. A God who feels with us in all that we go through. A God who changes to be with us wherever we are and shows us love in that place. The many faces of Jesus prove God's compassion because they show Jesus is with those who suffer, those who are terrified, those who are lost in anxiety and pain, those who are overjoyed and full of glory. Jesus is with all of us in our lowest of lows and highest of highs, when our faces are shadowed and scarred, when shiny and bright, when we are looking out on a terrifying drop or soaring and flipping through the air, however the landing turns out for us. When we open ourselves to embrace all those faces, we have a fuller connection with God. And then I think we can begin reflecting that face of God to others in our lives. Reflecting the face of compassion is something we see in each scene around the transfiguration also. Jesus tells the disciples that they are to take up their cross and follow him. The voice of God speaks from the cloud on the top of the mountain, telling the three with Jesus to listen to him. And in the healing story at the bottom of the mountain, Jesus demonstrates how to heal the child. In the other versions we have of this story, he explicitly tells the disciples that such healing comes about through prayer, inviting them into that compassionate work. However Jesus sets his face, he invites those around him to join along. In order to do the work Jesus is guiding the disciples to do, we also are invited to have compassion and listen to the needs of those before us. We have the divine gift to change our own faces and meet our neighbors where they are in order to show them the love of God, which I admit might be easier said than done. At least I remember that being the case during one of the weirder mountaintop experiences I have had on a literal mountaintop. It was in Scotland. I had traveled out there for a day while I was in the UK doing some research. I'd gone to Edinburgh and decided to hike around just outside of the city, and I got to the top of a hill, more than a mountain, and it was about time I sat down to pray, something I would do at set times during the day. During that prayer, a man came up to me um, where I was sitting and sat near me. When he could tell it was appropriate to interrupt me, he jumped in, introduced himself. We had a little bit of a talk, and then he went on to tell me that he was having some severe relationship problems and asked me for some advice. I had no clue what to do for him at the time. I stumbled around trying to offer some sort of advice, but I had only had one relationship at that point, and we were not still together, so I was definitely not the person to be offering anything to him. Still, I tried to just set my face and offer a definite answer that I thought could guide him forward. But looking back on that really random and weird encounter that I had, I realized I did not need to solve his problem for him like I was trying to. I needed to do what Jesus was demonstrating and teaching his disciples. I needed to change my face, meet him where he was, and just offer some compassion. That's what he was really looking for. And that would have been much more meaningful of an experience for both of us. I rest assured that so often in life we have mountaintop moments where we can mirror Jesus by changing our faces and showing some compassion. Maybe it's not literally on a mountain 
or before someone in need of healing. Maybe it's at a school lunchroom where we can change our faces to be with those who are eating alone. Or maybe it's at the office where we can change our faces to show kindness to someone who is having a rough day. Or maybe it's along the side of the road where we can change our faces and give a moment or perhaps a few bucks or food to someone in need. The transfiguration is a mystical thing. Shiny Jesus meeting with two long dead prophets is pretty wild. But I think it makes good sense when we think about how Jesus consistently acted, changing his face to show compassion to whomever he was around. And it makes sense when we think about what Jesus consistently called his followers to do, change our faces to meet people where they are and show them the love of God that has as many faces as there are people willing to join in that movement of compassion. So I hope you'll join me in reflecting the face of Christ this day and every day. Let us pray. Oh God, thank you for meeting us where we are and guiding us to meet others where they are. May we reflect fully your compassion, rejoicing and weeping with those around us who are doing the same. In your holy name we pray. Amen.